This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where six guys from around the British Isles get together to talk about anything and everything Detroit Lions. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick and I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. And when it's us two in the room, that can only mean one thing. It means that another college week, another weekend of college football has come and gone and we are here to dissect it down to the bones. Um, Ryan. No Detroit Lions to upset us this weekend. And your own Arizona State Sun Devils finally made it into bowl contention. So I'm hoping you're doing a little better this week than you were last. I am, yeah. That to say there was nothing to upset me this weekend. What was there went my way. No one lost. And it's very rare I say that. So I'm coming to you in a good jovial mood. Let's say Lions had the town hall last night, which went really well. So it's, it's been a good week so far. Ready for the uh, and talk about another week of college, and I'd say a more down to earth CFB second week playoff rankings. I feel better about everything this week, a bit more realistic. <laughs> oh, and that's all how we like to be. Um, yeah, just as Ryan mentioned there, um, as you've probably heard recently, uh, the Rural Lions podcast, we recently joined Lions Nation Unite, the Herman Moore led project, where all um. Detroit Lions contributors, just the fans go to the best go on there. They somehow came to us and picked us for that. And we are, you know, ever so grateful for them for giving us the opportunity. And as Ryan mentioned there, we had our first town hall last night where a group of the contributors get together with Herman and have a chat about Lions football. Ryan was our representative and I'm, I'm very proud to say that he represented Britain very well indeed. How, uh, how was that town hall for you? How, how did you find it? Do you know, I've never been nervous for a podcast, but I actually felt really nervous going on that one because it was a bit like a, a hall of fame. Like It was like being with like Lions royalty. I was next to Herman mm-hmm. and then you had all these Americans that knew what they were talking about, big followings, uh, a live feed with people asking comments. So, but it was good when we got in the swing. It sounds like it's going to become a regular occurrence. Everyone's going to get a go and they're going to do some quizzes, maybe make it like a game show. Like it's going to become something that's just going to be really fun. And everyone seemed to comment like they enjoyed the, everyone liked it. So it went, it was a blast for the first time. Yeah, I know. I looked at some of the panel there. Um, I know uh, Kurt Steele was on there. Um, I know um, Jim was on there as well. Dosa Dion. I get with some of those guys on lines on the prowl on Friday and, they really are some of the best contributors out there. So for us to be sat in the same room as them really, really is something. But you're not here to hear us talk about LNU all night long. We are here to talk about college football. Although just before I do, Ashley, I am watching the YouTube chat tonight. He puts in there, what is Heisenberg doing here? Get back to New Mexico. You have drugs to cook with Jesse. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks, Ash. Appreciate it. I was Mr. Miyagi the other day. Now I'm uh, now I'm Heisenberg. Um what about, you know, Jason Statham, someone like that, you know, someone handsome, bald? 
I'd appreciate a comment like that, but hey-ho, here we go. So um, this is um, our week 10 review. Um, God, can't believe this season is going all over the place. We've got some news to go through, a lot of coaching news. We're at the point of the season now where there are a lot of coaching changes. So we're going to go through that. The power rankings as well, you know, always a good source for debate. But like Ryan says, they are settling down a little bit. Then we're going to crack on with the games. Um a different little slate this week, a few lower scorer ones, but more tactical based games as opposed to a lot of the massive shootouts we've seen over the last few weeks, although there were a few of those as well. Uh, and then we're going to have a little look at week 11 and then we're going to have a little discussion about tight ends at the end as well, I believe, although we might do something a bit more substantial about that in the future. But anyhow, we will uh, we'll drop straight into the news. And as I said, this has been quite a week for coaching staffs and certain teams and we're going to start off with the Washington Huskies now um, they've had a tumultuous season to put it lightly they opened up with a defeat to Montana it was the first time in over a century that they lost to them and was described by many as one of the worst ever defeats in franchise history if not the worst. The season has not really got a lot better for them. They currently sit at four and five, which for a team, quite a few teams in the Pac-12 who came into this season full of confidence, that's that's not a very good record for them. Um, they've lost their star linebacker, Edifuano Lafoscio. He's on my five to watch list for the year. He's out injured, which is a shame. And on Saturday, they ended up losing to Oregon. It was a divisional game and it was... It was not pretty. They were down eight points with one minute 58 to go. And um, they were driving to try and even the game up. They got to fourth down and their head coach thought, right, we're going to punt this. I'm going to, I'm going to punt it. I've got two timeouts left, two timeouts left against Oregon. But, you know, we'll punt it and we'll see if we can get it back with less than two minutes to go. Um, only it didn't work out so well for them. They were only just outside their own end zone. The long snapper snapped it right above the head of the punter, basically threw it out the back of the end zone. They ended up giving away a safety and they lost. And their fans were not happy. They booed and booed and booed and then left in droves. There was barely anyone left to see the end of the game. Um, and it was just an awful day for them. And in response to that, they fired their offensive coordinator, John Donovan, um, their offense in eight games this season has only gone above 21 points twice. If that sounds familiar, then, you know, that's sort of a thing with the Lions. The Lions have only been above 20 points once this season, and this offensive coordinator has lost his job. Ours still has his. But um, not only that, they lost their offensive coordinator, and then afterwards, footage emerged that their head coach, Jimmy Lake, had basically assaulted one of his own players, his linebacker. He went and hit him in the helmet, which we talk about players been stupid for doing that, but he hit him in the helmet and then he pushed him in the back when he tried to walk off. And as a result of that, he's been suspended for the team's next game against none other than Arizona State. And it's unlikely that he's going to be back to manage that team. Odds are he probably has managed his last game for them. But I mean, <sighs> this has been a horrid season for them, Ryan, and it was... Very, very stupid actions by the head coach, Jimmy Lake, in dealing with that linebacker the way that he did. Yeah, it was... People have reacted to it two ways, looking at the film. Some say, well, that's fine. Head coaches have got the right to get physical. Some say, well, it's a soft shot. It's a bit of a push. But the timing 
really didn't help the matter. Coming off a, a bad loss where he made a very poor decision that led to them ultimately sealing her own fate and the fans walking out. And then it comes up like you say, he shoves him in the face. If a player punches someone with a helmet on and hurts the hand, you blame the player. A head coach that shoves a big kid in the face with his forearm that's got a helmet on, you blame there's no way he's returning. Suspension is supposed to be only for one game, but I don't see Jimmy Lake coming back to uh, Washington anytime soon and we'll get his marching orders. And it's not a programme right now that's trending in the right direction. So it might not be the most desirable job for who comes over. Also, you're going to have to, have to find an offensive coordinator. So things right there right now are a bit of a mess. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a head curse over in Washington this year. Obviously, Nick Rolovich got his marching orders a couple of weeks back for not taking the COVID jab. And now the other one looks like he's ended his career by hitting a player. I think both of those teams are going to be looking out for guys in the near future. And it's not gone well there. So we'll remain to see what happens. But it doesn't look like he's going back. And it's been a horrible week for them and a bad week for him. He was expected to do big things with the Huskies and... You know, they had a good year last year. They should have built on it and they really haven't. So that's a shame. But talking about teams who are cutting staff as well, uh, this leads us on to the Florida Gators. So Dan Mullen is another coach who is, is under some serious pressure at this moment in time. A lot was expected again of Florida this year. Their running attack started off absolutely amazing. They got some good wins and then... They lost to Alabama and it's sort of fallen to bits for them since then. They are also four and five on the season. But this weekend, and, and this was one of the surprise results, they got absolutely wrecked by South Carolina, 40 to 17, which is a result is probably the worst of his tenure there and a result that absolutely should not be happening. Um, and in response to this, because of the growing pressure on himself, he's thrown two of his long-term assistants under the bus, that's his defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, and his O-line coach, John Harvey. I think one of them's been with him since 2001. That's how far they go back there. Seems like he's in a situation, Ryan, where he's chucking everyone out the lifeboat, trying to keep himself afloat a little longer. But you think they're going to come for him soon as well with what's going on there, you feel? Oh, absolutely. This, this, if this lifeboat is going down, then it's going down quickly because it's got more holes than he can plug. Like, it's weird because like, it's a defensive coordinator. I understand they're shipping that many points. But O-line coach too, that just seems a very weird person to get rid of. It's like he's trying to blame everyone apart from himself. He's going to get his marching order soon because this is a perennial underperforming team. And they have been shipping points weekly. Uh, this is a team that cannot keep the ball out of the end zone. They give up too many yards, but he is trying to, like I say, he's trying to get rid of all the dead weight, when unfortunately he's the one that's probably weighing down the team most, and he will not make it next year. He will go end the year, and I think it's only fair that if they go, he goes too. Yeah, exactly. I think it can't be described as any other than a hugely wasted season for them and yeah, when, when you start chucking guys like that, I think it's a sign that you're on your way down I don't really see much better for them coming this year. So, again, another team who are in trouble and another one to keep an eye on as to what happens. But he's probably on one of the hottest seats in college at the minute, even with this far. And it might buy him a little time, but not many, especially if he loses a few more games. That could be in trouble, but we will see. Um, finishing off with the head coach bits, we've got another three bits of news here. So, 
in the first bit that will be a shock to absolutely nobody. Um, UMass head coach Walt Bell has been fired. Uh, he's been there for three years and his record stands at 2-23. and 23, And they are currently one of the worst teams in the FBS, which is, you know, that is an absolute, they are absolutely atrocious. His record's bad. I don't think it's any surprise that he was going to go. And also Akron head coach Tom Arth, he's also been fired. Um, he's also been a head coach for three seasons and his record is little better than the previous. He was 3-24. and 24. Um, When he was first hired there, there was a lot of hope for him. One Akron commentator actually said about this, if this guy doesn't start to win at Akron, then I don't know who the hell's going to win with them. So now they're going to have to answer that question because he's been fired because he's not done a great deal there. Um, It was a very popular hire, but it has just not worked out. And then finally, in a bit of good news for a head coach, Texas Tech, they have found their new head coach, They've hired Baylor associate head coach Joey McGuire uh, to be their new head coach. He joined Baylor when Matt Rule was there in 2017, uh, but he was passed over for the head coach job there when Matt Rule left to go and coach the Carolina Panthers. But he's now found his way to the top job in Texas Tech, which is a good opportunity for him there. But right, another, another few bits of news there. I don't think anyone is too shocked about the two firings happening, but what do you reckon about the Texas Tech hire? that a good fit for them? Yeah, I don't know. I've seen online that as a, like, as an actual coach, he doesn't have that much experience. He's worked in the background, like say he did good stuff at uh, a good Baylor side behind Matt Rule, but how he's got a feel for players and potentially play calling, I'm not entirely sure. There were other guys out there, like Gary Patterson might have been someone that could have been quite easy to lure. Local, spent so long at TCU, I think I'd have made him a priority. But it's a risky hire, but it's a team right now that isn't really going anywhere. Their quarterbacks, uh, Columbia and Shuck, they're not the best. So there's very little pressure there. So you should get some time to actually make some stuff happen there. And the other two guys, 50 games between them, five wins in three years. It's amazing that it lasted this long. Like that, that is that is painful. I feel sorry for the fans, but I also feel like they probably weren't ever put in a good position to win because those teams just can't recruit players. It, it's a hell of a turnaround, a miracle. Whoever can get them to a five or six win season, especially with picking up maybe one, two star recruits, even if that. So whoever takes those next jobs has got they've got big brass balls. I'll give them that because their fans will expect a quick turnaround. Yeah, and I can safely say that as a more casual college fan at the minute, I will not have heard of either of the two guys who probably take over there because I don't think it's going to be anyone of any serious renown who's going to be taking those jobs over. But uh, yeah, we will see. And hopefully Joe Maguire does well at Texas Tech. Um, they've been a good side this year in parts. He's got a lot to work with there. So we'll, we'll see how he does. Um so that's everything about the coaches this week. We'll just move into the rankings now. Obviously, we've got our Associated Press Top 25 and then we've got the college ones. So out of the Associated Press Top 25, a few bits here. In, in news that will be a shock to no one, ranked teams lost in you know a lot this week. Another seven ranked teams were defeated. For this season alone, there's been 68 ranked losses and if you think, oh, well, a lot of those were between each other. No, that is not the case. Out of those 68, 42 of those results were to unranked sides. So, you know, you're looking at four or five a week nearly at the rate we've been going. 
unranked teams beating ranked teams. It's just been absolutely crazy this year. It's so hard to predict results. And out of everybody, we're down to just four teams, four horses in the race for an unbeaten season. So the only teams left out of them all who have not lost yet, you've got the Georgia Bulldogs, who I don't think the rest of them combined could beat with all their players on the pitch, the rate they're going. You've got the Cincinnati Bearcats, who just sneak their way through this weekend. Just. You've got the Oklahoma Sooners, who didn't play this week. And then you've got the University of Texas and San Antonio, just the most random team to still be unbeaten at this uh, stage of the season. How many of those out of those four do you envisage going on to, to, to finish the regular season unbeaten? I'm going to say just Georgia and UTSA. I think the other two will fall. Because Cincinnati got so close. like They, they really didn't do themselves any favours this weekend, even with a win, because it was not convincing the slightest. And Oklahoma, if they do make the playoffs, they're not going to finish unbeaten because they're not winning the whole thing. So... UTSA, I've not ever looked at their schedule, but with running back like Sincere McCormack, they've probably got a good chance. This, I don't think their schedule's been too hard to date, but they're winning fairly comfortably every week and they're just going about their business and no one's bothering them. So I think they're like got flying under the radar. Yeah, I think it, it, it's been a great season for them as far as they're concerned. You know, to be one of the few teams left who've not lost all season and a lot of the games have been in, they've not been favourites. So... It's good to see a team like that come to the forefront. So we will see. But I'm in agreement with you. I, I don't think very many are going to get there. But the way this season's going, Georgia might even lose at some point. But they seem to be the one team that are booking the trend of getting upset this year. They're just dominating teams week in, week out. And no one seems to be able to get even close to them. Um, so, yeah, with the Associated Press Top 25, you've got Georgia at one, Cincinnati at two, Alabama, Oklahoma, Oregon, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan State, then the Michigan Wolverines, then Oklahoma State are back into the top 10 again. They seem to have recovered after their defeat a few weeks back. Then you've got Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Wake Forest, BYU, UTSA, Auburn, Houston, Baylor, Iowa, Wisconsin, North Carolina State, Coastal Carolina, Penn State, uh, Louisiana, Lafayette, Raging Cajuns, they're still there, and then Pittsburgh, rounding out the top 25 and there seem to be a few more regulars in there now it doesn't seem to be changing as much is, is there still anyone you sort of shocked is up there at this point of the year or you sort of happy with where everyone is at this moment in time I think Cincinnati are too high They'd, I know there's no consensus number two right now but they're still not it Iowa Iowa still have no right to be ranked in any rankings whatsoever They've been awful at times this year. They are, they're frauds. They've been totally exposed. There are teams out there that deserve to be there. I'm glad to see Minnesota have dropped out because I couldn't believe they handed him that big deal and then they got one of the worst losses all year. We'll talk about that later. So I'm glad they've dropped out. <laughs> it's nice to see some teams getting some love like Houston, Clayton Tune. They've been going along really nicely. Took down SMU last week in a big win. Like, and Pittsburgh, like these one-loss teams that are comfortably handing their business and they're just not getting much attention. But I think right now, the I'm not sure why we still have any people when college football players rankings come out anymore. I'm, 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 I don't understand why they go coexist because they're so different. I know they have different voting, but it's something to talk about. Notre Dame, 
probably a little bit high. Wake Forest, way too high in the AP poll now. After we, after we called it, like I say, we're getting good at this, aren't we? <laughs> oh yeah, I got two two last week, two last week, and I got them both right, and we, we got the main one right. So yeah, absolutely, they've uh, they're at a crossing point now because their schedule is not getting any easier. But we'll talk about their game in a little bit. Um, so we'll move on to the playoff rankings now, and I'll not go through them all because I don't want to be tedious with lists. But currently, the top four ranked teams for the playoffs, the four who are going to get in as it stands, you've got Georgia at one, Alabama at two. Oregon at three, which I'm not sure about, and then Ohio State at four. And then just outside there, you've got Cincinnati, you've got both Michigan teams, and you've got Oklahoma. Um, I don't know about you, but Oregon at three seems a little high, given they've had a pair of defeats this year, especially when they've lost to Stanford, who got their asses handed to them this weekend. You know, it seems a little high for them, given their schedule. I complained last week when they were at four and I thought too high but then Cincinnati really let themselves down this weekend they may have well ended their own playoff hopes this weekend even by sneaking out of the line but I can justify Oregon in the top four I'd probably put them at three my big issue is Michigan ahead of Michigan State because they've got the same record they've got their same conference record but one of them has beat the other and Oregon is ahead of Ohio State because of head-to-head but then Michigan and Michigan State aren't separated by the head-to-head. So if the committee are going to come out and say that is a factor, then there's got to be some sort of consistency. Michigan can't be ahead of Michigan State, even though this weekend's results. For me, they're irrelevant because they've played one another. You've got to have these... Where you compare these teams together and you compare them direct to one another, that's got to be the deciding factor for me. And right now, that would lead to State being above. That's the only bugbear I have. I think Cincinnati are clinging on there but I realistically don't give them a shot even if they win out and Wake Forest unfortunately their playoff campaign is over even if they win the ACC a one team champion a one loss ACC champion doesn't get anywhere near these playoffs unfortunately because the ACC has just been so bad yeah I agree with a lot with what you say there but it is weird how they sort of make these up I mean I just looked quickly and and you know Wisconsin are above Purdue but it's like Purdue have taken down the number two ranked side this season and the number three ranked side this season. They're six and three, they're same record. And you're like, well, those two have got to stand for something because you don't beat ranked teams that high that frequently and still get put down the list. I mean, a lot of them are the same really as the, the Associated Press top 25 have just muddled around a little. Although a few teams do sneak in at the end and could possibly in there. You've got San Diego State there in there. Utah are in there now. At 24, and Arkansas is snuck back in at 25. I mean, Utah—they're the second. Are they the second Pac-12 ones in there? But I don't think they're going to the playoffs. Quite frankly, now. No, they—they they just took pity on Pac-12 because it sucks. So they just snuck another team in there and hope we won't notice. And I don't think anyone has noticed. <laughs> it's just a free for all when you get past like 17. The Big Ten West is fascinating. I mean, you've got Wisconsin. You've got Purdue and Minnesota. I think they're all six and three, and they're all four and two as well in conference play. You could not get a more nail-biting decision. So I agree with the ranked wins. Purdue should be higher, but that is going to be fun to see how that plays out because you could have all you could have a three-way tie going into deciding a championship game. Like 
that is a really fun subdivision to watch because they're all got they're all pretty good. They're all pretty well balanced. But Wisconsin now are on a great winning streak and their defense is shutting teams up and they run in the ball so well. It's a dangerous time right now for anyone to play Wisconsin because they are full of beans. Yeah, they, they seem to be one of those who you just we didn't really think about much at the start of the season, but they're just creeping up there, creeping up. Like you say, they're coming into form at a good time. So, yeah, like you say, another one to keep an eye on. Purdue, they're, they're against another top four team this weekend. So if they win again this weekend, especially against the guys they are against, they've got a catapult right up this list. I want to see them right near the top next week because, you know, even with a few losses they've had, there'll be a hell of a hit list that they've taken away. But... Now, we'll leave the college football uh, playoff rankings for another week until we find something divisive to talk about yet again. That's pretty much everything for the news this week. Um, as for the injury corner, and we, we, we've done this over the season. We've had a look at some of the injuries that affect the playoffs, but because we're only four weeks out pretty much now from the end of the season, a season-ending injury could just be something simple, really. Uh, so it doesn't really seem much point in doing that. So we, we're going to go over that, unless there's anything that comes up which does affect maybe the top end of the draft. And the one thing I did pick up on, which I'm going to quickly mention, is Kyle Hamilton. Now, he got injured against USC two weeks ago, and he's not played again since. And he's got a big decision to make now, Ryan, because obviously there's so much buzz about him going into this draft. He could go as high as two, as high as three. I think, you know, it's become accepted now that he's probably going to be the top drafted safety of all time, possibly, but he has a decision now. He's, this is his knee that's been bothering him. Now, does he come back and help Notre Dame try and get into the playoffs and have one last run there? Because they'll want him back to get up there. Or does he say, ow, my leg hurts a bit more than it does, although it doesn't really do so, and then end his season now and preserve his draft stock. Because if he comes back and plays and takes another injury on that knee again, it could be really, really bad for him. If I'm Kyle Hamilton, I will not play again this year. I don't think Notre Dame can make the playoffs. So you have to look at the season as every game, even a, even if he makes a New Year Six ball game, every game to him is kind of pointless and it's a risk of injury that could lose him millions of dollars. If he slides from five to 10 in the draft next year, he could lose one, two million dollars. If he has a bad injury and falls from five to 15 or 20, he could lose five, six, seven million dollars on that rookie deal. He should definitely not risk it. I'd, I would not return this year. I'd say to my dear fellow teammates, look, guys, I'm sorry but we're getting close to where I have to think about the draft now. I can't afford an injury when I don't think this team is built to cause an upset or sneak into the playoffs and the bowl game just didn't worth it. He may well invite it to the senior bowl, which is something he needs to think about if he wants to stay healthy for that. His pro day, the combine, even if it needs to milk the injury, you get to a point now where you shut yourself down. Like Derek Stingley Jr., he saw that LSU season was a bit had kind of gone to crap and part of me thinks that he just said I don't need this right now I'm going to fix my foot even if I could come back at the end of the year it's just not worth it when you get to the crunch time of the year like this if you pick up a knock you've got to take the decision on yourself to end the year because playing hurt doesn't always do well Chuba Hubbard he slid last year he should not have returned for his senior year because he got hurt most of the year and his draft stock really slid sometimes you've just got to know when to 
call it a day and declare. So if I'm Hamilton, I'm probably ending my own season. Do you reckon that's it for him then this year? I think I do as well. Yeah. If he doesn't play this week, we won't see him again. No, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, I, th- I think it's best for him because, you know, he, he's got the potential to go so high in this draft that he really, I'm, I suppose that'll be his focus now. Go in, get a good pro day, just make the hype about you unbearable and someone's going someone's gonna to take a pick on you really high. But it's an interesting situation and we, we will keep an eye on it. So, yeah, that's Carl Hamilton. Not really a great deal else this week in regards to the draft, unless you've seen anything else. I, I looked through the reports and I didn't see anyone who stood out, really. No, it's been it's been fairly quiet. Like I say, teams are getting guys back now. Some guys are coming back to health. Like Thibodeau, he looks to have shaken off everything, playing limited snaps, but very effective. But no, there's no real injuries. People are just shaking stuff off now. And now it's getting down to crunch time. Absolutely. And talking about going down to crunch time, let's have a recap of week 10. So we'll hand out the awards as we always do, and then we'll go into some of the more featured games this week. So again, there are not as many as there have been recent weeks. There were a lot of quite big blowout wins, especially by some of the ranked teams this week. But there was still plenty of intrigue, and we did watch a few good ones as well. So um, obviously the beating of the week that we give out to the team that won by the most points, Ryan mentioned them briefly, that goes to Wisconsin this week. They won 52 points to three against Rutgers, which, yeah, may not be the most signature win in the world, but that's a margin of 49, and they absolutely did a demolition job on them, and that's a divisional game as well, so all wins count for them. Now, the other two, we're probably not going to agree on here because I could barely agree on this one myself. I, I had no idea what to do for these. So, I mean, the upset of the week for me, and I've already mentioned it just because of I did not see this result coming in a month of Sundays, um, was the Florida-South Carolina game. 40 points to 17, South Carolina beat the Gators. That is a rebuilding franchise, South Carolina. They don't really have any right to be going somewhere like Florida and putting 40 down on them. So, you know, they get a nice mention this week. Although I did want to give her an honourable mention to Arizona, not Ryan's Arizona, but the other terrible Arizona. They managed to win this week for the first time in what feels like forever. And I also put one in there for TCU as well. But, you know, South Carolina get it this week. And for the statement win of the week, you know, I did this because, you know, it, for me, it is a statement. And I've, I've gone for Georgia this week. They beat Missouri 43-6. to six. Every single week, they're putting down a statement saying, we are the best team. You're not upsetting us. We're just putting our foot down on you. And we're not even going to give you a chance to beat us. They just, by far and away, look the best team in college. No one looks like they can beat them. So, for me, that that, that is sort of the statement win there just the message they've put down, but um, I'll, I'll open the floor. Feel free to disagree with me on these because I wasn't confident doing these myself. No, this was a really hard week to judge. Like I say, Arizona Wildcats, my biggest rivalry, their last win was December 2019. They had not won a game in two years. So before this weekend, they were the worst team in the entire FBS. They were worse than UMass. They were worse than UConn. Like they were... I feel it, it was a brand new head coach this year and I've just got to applaud him. I don't like them, but kudos to dig deep. I don't know what Cal were playing at. It was only, a, I think it was 10-3. So it was one of the worst games to watch on paper, but they got over the line. 
uh, Boise State. They slapped Fresno State. Like That was a big surprise win. I think they told people, look, we're not here now, but we're not going away. We're not back in the Mountain West Conference title race this year, but we'll be back soon. And they, they took down by a good 25, 30 points. That was a real handsome win. I'll give them that. And uh, another surprise one, ranked uh, Minnesota, going down to Illinois, I think, and they only scored one score as well. And that was after giving PJ Fleck another seven-year deal. That is not how you reward your boosters or the guy that pays you money and gives you contracts because that probably really makes them hard to win the Big Ten West now. They, were, they had a little bit of breathing room. That's all gone. And that was a very embarrassing loss. But we said last week, didn't we? They lost running back one, two and three down to freshmen. And the bare bones couldn't get it done against the poor fighting Illini side. So their season looks to be hanging on a cliff bounce. But now a lot of statement wins by teams that caused a few shocks. Yeah, it, it was very hard just to try and single them out this week. But I thought we've we've not really given a lot of well, not not saying not given a lot of love to Georgia this year. It's just they're just so dominantly beating teams every week. That there's not nothing really anything to say, but they dominated them, and that was absolutely it. And and they're doing it with Stetson Bennett. They've not even put JT Daniels back in. They're just they're just running with Stetson Bennett. It's just like Jesus. <laughs> they got the backup guy, and he's just in there, just like not missing a step whatsoever. But yeah, there were a lot of places this could have gone. But let's let's dive down into some of the games now. I'm, I'm going to start with the team. This this is the one we both predicted. The team that provides a massive shootout every single week. It's ever so fun to watch. But we both said they're going to come up against a team one week that's going to have an offense which is just going to put up more points than them, quite plainly and simply. And of course, we're talking about one of our fallers at the last hurdle for an unbeaten season, and that is the Wake Forest. Demon Deacons, they have finally fallen. They were playing UNC and they lost 55 to 58 in another 100 point plus game. 113 points there altogether. But the way their defense was playing, it was it was just a matter of time before someone came along and was able to put up more points than them. And unfortunately, they found it in the face of Sam Howell and Ty Chandler at UNC now. Sam Hartman, bless him, he did absolutely everything he could in this game. I mean, talk about leaning on your quarterback to try and drag you through a season. He threw 51 pass attempts. He completed 25 of them, which is not great, but he got 398 yards, five touchdowns. He threw two interceptions, and he also rushed 12 times for 78 yards and scored two rushing touchdowns. It's sort of a hell of a day for him there. And then you look on Sam Howell's side, he only threw 16 for 26, 216 yards and one touchdown. But he also rushed for 104 yards and got a couple of rushing touchdowns himself. But get this, Wake Forest were in front for most of this game. And going into the fourth quarter, they were 14 points clear and they scored again in the fourth quarter. So North Carolina had to put up 21 on them. You know how they did that? They just kept running the ball. The team that is behind by several scores just kept on running the ball and Ty Chandler had himself a day. He went 22 for 213 yards, 9.7 yards per carry. So basically a first down every time he ran the ball and he got four touchdowns, several of those coming in the last quarter. 
But for a team who was ahead most of the game and is two scores up in this one, why is their quarterback throwing it 51 times and is their second leading rusher on their team and their leading running backs only running it 13 times? That's Justice Ellison, 13 times for 81 yards. That's just bad clock management, is it not? It was bad, yeah. Wake Forest season is going to depend on what happened to Christian Beale. He left the game I saw in a flood of tears with a run it. He had a big boot on his foot when he got carted off the field. That injury changed the game because then they stopped running the ball. The moment he went down, they put the game on Sam Hartman's shoulders, who he's a gunslinger. Like, that does not save time on the clock. Like They were scoring points, but they were scoring too quickly. They left too much time on the clock. Unfortunately, he kept them in the game, but it cost them the game as well. The interceptions came at crucial times. It was a fourth quarter interception, which changed the whole tide of the game. Like, and I, I love Sam Howell. Like, he impressed everyone this weekend. His rushing and his ability, his ball security, has been fantastic the last few weeks. He's got shown dynamic footwork, able to make guys miss, and he was able to then pick his shots. I'd say he didn't turn up only one touchdown, but he wasn't asked to throw the ball much. Ty Chandler has emerged in the last few weeks as someone very dependable. They started the season quite slow on offense and just relying on Josh Downs, who also had another nice game because he just seems to every week. He's having a fantastic year. And it was a really, really good play. Uh, Storm Duck, the cornerback, he had a really nice game as well for North Carolina. He clamped down A.T. Perry when he had chance to. But it was an all-out shootout. And we said Wake Forest's lack of defence, lack of discipline would cost them, and it did. 58 points. It's dreadful the amount of points they've given up this year in these high-scoring games. And they almost got away with it because the end of the game was weird. We saw North Carolina score, and then they took a short kickoff to leave them in field goal range. And I was sweating. I tweeted, down goes Wake Forest well too early because they almost came back. But in the end, you make your own luck, but their luck ran out, unfortunately. And now with three games left to save an ACC title game, the back's really up against the wall. But UNC had nothing to lose in this game, but everything to gain. And on both sides of the ball, they played their asses off. Like Howell even took a huge injury to his shoulder, like he looked hurt, came back in. I saw a little bit of Stafford in him in that fourth quarter. Like he played tough, ran well, and he ignited his draft stock. He just he has put a little uh, slow burner under him. He's simmering nicely. Yeah, and it's weird when you think about Sam Hall because all he had was one bad game at the start of the year. And in fairness, you know that Virginia Tech game, the atmosphere was crazy loud. It was intimidating. He took a lot of hits. His offensive line did not protect him at all. And everyone just sort of went, meh, that's his season done. And ever since then, he's, he's been really good. He's, the team have not been losing because of him. And yet no one seems to have been like, oh, you know, he's getting better again. It just seems one game has defined his entire season. But this was a perfect example of, you know, how he led the team. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't do it just with passing, but he does it in the rush game as well. He complements that. Ty Chandler, you know, I, I was very critical of that run game at the start of the year. It just did not show up. And obviously it's going to be hard 
replacing Carter and Williams there. But he really has emerged these last few weeks. And kudos to the UNC staff for sticking with the run because it was what was working, especially when you're a few scores down against the Wake Forest side that can score quick. It would be very easy to go, oh, damn, we've got to start passing it more. But they didn't. They stayed patient with the run game and it worked for them. And Wake Forest, even, even with the lead guard, you think you've still got to run it a bit more. You know, 51 times is a lot for a quarterback. When he's rushing as well, you've, you've got to take the load off him somehow or at least just try and drown the clock to take the pressure off him. You know, that's the whole point of having a few scores up. You can afford to manage the clock a bit more, but hell, it was a great game. I'll just say that much. A.T. Perry on Wake Forest sides, he got 130 receiving yards. He got a couple of touchdowns. Jaquan Robinson, he got two touchdowns, 111 yards. It was like a field day for receivers on their side. Um, defense wasn't really existent. Obviously, Ryan mentioned one of the um, UNC DBs there. Also, one of the other guys, Cameron Kelly, he got both interceptions on um, Sam Hartman. So that was a big, a pivotal uh, few plays from him. But outside of that, the defense has left a lot, a lot to be desired, let's say. But it was a cracking game. It's good to see UNC do well. And I'm really happy to Sam, Sam Howell. I just think his the thing is, I'm really stuck as to think where he's going in the draft now because he was number two pick at the start of this year. He could probably still go that high, do you not think? I wouldn't rule him out sneaking into the end of the first. I'd, I still very much think he could be a first-round pick. He's a very safe choice. And in a class that's so up in the air, there's nothing wrong with a safe choice. I think if UNC had a few more wins, or if you ignore the record, he'd be in the Heisman race. But unfortunately, his record won't allow him to get any votes because that's how it goes. It's political, isn't it? Sam Howe is the perfect example of why quote, of wins and losses and not a quarterback stat, because he can do everything he wants. But if he can't, his defence can't show up on the day, he can't get wins. He's done everything he can for the team all year. He's kept the turnovers to a minimal, and he's running the ball, and he's getting pounded. I've seen him take some huge hits this year. He needs to start protecting himself a little with a draft coming up. He needs to slide a little bit more, but he is leaving it all out there, and he's going to go down as probably pretty high up in all the categories in history as a, a Tar Heel. He's been fun to watch. Exactly. I, I do hope he gets the love in the draft that he deserves. And I hope that one Virginia Tech game ain't going to mark against him because, again, that wasn't his fault on the day. This season is not his fault. So, yeah, fair play to him. Again, great game. And, you know, we'll see what they can do because they've got a few big fixtures still to come up this year. He's plenty of chances to prove himself. He's got a big one tomorrow night, actually, and we're going to talk about that. A little bit later, but moving on from one team who lost their unbeaten record to the other team who lost their unbeaten record. And this was really, really, really disappointing after all the effort that they put in to win such a big rivalry game last week. We said this was a banana skin game. We said that there could be a hiccup here and a hiccup there was. We are, of course, talking, unfortunately, about the Michigan State Spartans, their unbeaten start to the season, their fantastic run is over. And once again, slaying a top three team, it was the Purdue Boilermakers. This one ended 40 to 29 in, fa in favour of Purdue. And this was really simple, actually. The Michigan State Spartans defence struggles 
against the pass. So Purdue passed on them. Aidan O'Donnell, the quarterback, he he was playing his own little version of Squid Games. I believe the game he was playing was called Taking Candy Off a Baby, of which he did. He went 40 for 54 through 536 yards. I believe he'd only thrown about 16 or 1700 in this entire season in the previous eight games to this point. He put up over 500 in one game. He got three touchdowns. They didn't really need to rush it. They only got 58 positive total rushing yards and a touchdown, I believe, in that. Um, and that was it. They threw the ball. Demetrius Bell, the wide receiver, he was the main recipient of all this. He went 11 for 217 yards, about 20 yards per catch, which is pretty decent. And he got himself a touchdown. And Jackson Anthrop, the other wide receiver, he got six for 80 and the touchdown. Uh, the defense only got him one sack there. This wasn't necessarily a defensive-based performance like we used to with Purdue. The offense just hummed here. On MSU's side, Peyton Thorne, he had a better week than he did last week. 20 for 30, 276 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He also rushed for 37 yards and got a rushing touchdown. Kenneth Walker does what Kenneth Walker does, which is run a lot and run over a lot of people. He got 23 carries. 146 yards, about six and a half yards per carry, and a touchdown. And then in the receiving game, Trey Mosley, he got three catches, 44 yards and two touchdowns. So 66% of his receptions were touchdowns, which was good for him. But Purdue took the lead early in this one, and the Spartans never really looked like getting back in this. And it's such a disappointment because it undoes all the hard work of their victory over the Wolverines the other week. Yeah, this is how you, this is getting brought back down to earth with bumping it. This was real kicking the teeth to these Spartans fans. If these two results were the other way around, it wouldn't be so bad. If you had the Purdue loss before the Michigan win, like it wouldn't feel so bad. But the fact that they were, it felt like a hangover, as you say. They never, they fell behind quickly and they were always playing catch up. You never felt they were confidently going to get back into this game, even though they were, running with Kenneth Walker well. He was chugging yards. It was the, it was again, wasn't it? It was the, uh, the O'Donnell and the Bell show. Look what they did to Iowa. Like, they, they tore that defence apart. Bell may well be the best wide receiver in this entire draft. He could be taking that number one slot because he's such a crisp route runner. He runs beautiful. You see, he does double moves, stutter. He runs so crisp. He's got lovely hands, that nice frame. Like, he's a guy that I'm falling in love with, but I don't get too attached. But I think he's just trusted. He's got all the trust in the world. You can put any defensive back on him. You can put a safety over the top, which teams try. It don't work. He still takes the top off 20 yards a route. And it just, it just kills you. All the momentum, you think you get into second down, third down, and then bang, they'll just hit you over the top. They never seem to be behind the chains, even without a run game. And Purdue is such a dangerous team. Like They're really hard to work out how to stop them because you've got to take away their favourite weapon. If you take that away, then suddenly they're a little bit exposed. But right now, teams are struggling to stop the connection. And like I said, the pass rush, he had too much time in the pocket. He was able to pick those shots, able to manipulate the defence, look off safeties and it's just far too comfortable a day. The Spartans defence really let themselves down. 
because they just weren't able to interrupt what Purdue wanted to do. And they had a game plan that got executed. And in the end, it was a 11 points, but it felt like it was a much more comfortable win than that. It did. And, you know, you never thought Michigan State were going to go back into it, which was the most disappointing thing of all. Um, and as for their playoff chances, I think that's, unless they can come up with a win against Ohio State in a few weeks, you would figure that is probably it for them now, even if they win out apart from OSU, I guess. If they beat Ohio State and Penn State, they should make the playoffs. I think an 11-1, and one, because then you can look at them with Penn State, Ohio State and Michigan on their resume. That would make them one of the best strength of schedules in the entire nation. So if they win out and they win the championship game, I have to have them. If they, do, if they do that and don't make the playoffs, they lose all credibility. So it's not over yet. But when we see Michigan State, the Ohio State, that, that is going to be a huge game with everything on the line for both teams. I cannot wait for that. Yeah, me neither. That's going to be a good one. I think it's the week after next. So we've not got a long to wait for that now. And Kenneth Walker continuing his march to the Heisman for me. I, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah we had a good one. Don't matter about yeah. the result. Like I say, result, he, the results won. Quarterbacks are affected by how the team plays and the result, but a running back less so. Like He can just keep doing his thing. And no matter what happens, he can win the Heisman. Whereas, like I said, there's a little bit of bias, but running backs, they've got a great Heisman pedigree. Let's say right now he's solidifying as, like, say, 1A, 1B, 2. It's so hard, like, say, who's going to make the first mistake, him or Bryce Young, who's going to have that first underwhelming game of the year? Because that could be very the world a week they slip up. But right now, no one can still stop Walker, even in a big win. They still couldn't stop him. He's another one. I think if he has a good game against Ohio State, that's just going to launch his stock even further through the roof and give him the legitimacy that he needs. But he absolutely should be in contention. But we'll move it on. So that's that's two teams who've lost their unbeaten records this week. And from, unbeaten, from teams losing unbeaten records to a player losing draft stock, a lot of, and it's sad this one is, quite frankly. Um, we mentioned we hyped this game up last week. The battle of the quarterbacks, Malik Willis versus Matt Corral, Liberty versus Ole Miss. We knew that this was going to be a tough one for Liberty, probably one of the biggest games in the history, if not the biggest in the history of that franchise. There was a huge golfing class here, and unfortunately, it showed the final score was 27 to 14 in favour of Old Miss, although that probably doesn't do it a lot of justice. It was 24 nil at half time, and Liberty really didn't threaten a comeback. They scored 14 points in the third quarter, but in the end, they were kept at arm's length. Um, for Malik Willis, um, he went 16 of 25, 173 yards, and he threw three interceptions, no touchdown passes. He also rushed 27 times for just 71 yards at just 2.6 yards per carry, although he did get a rushing touchdown, but he wasn't able to get it going in his passing game. He wasn't able to run like he normally does. He doesn't run for two and a half yards per carry, and he gave some very costly turnovers away. But in fairness to him, he got sacked nine times 
which won't have helped. The old Miss defence bullied the absolute hell out of him, forced him into rushing his throws, which made him uncomfortable. But yeah, it, it was a rough outing for Malik Willis. For Liberty in general, um, Shidro Lewis, the running back, he was one who had a good day. He had seven carries for 101 yards. That's 14.4 yards per carry, which is a good uh, record to end up with. And he got a touchdown. And the regular running back, Joshua Mack, he had 19 carries for 98 yards. But as you can see, they rushed it oof, about 50 times. They got to the rush game a lot and Willis only threw it 25. They soon moved away from it, tried to run. Old Miss weren't giving them anything. But on Matt Corral's side, again, another tidy day for him. 20 of 27, 324 passing yards and a touchdown thrown. No interceptions. Jerry O'Neilly, the running back, he went 10 for 115 and he got himself two touchdowns. And then in the receiving game, they had a pair of Centurions. Dennis Jackson, he got six for 126 yards and a touchdown. And quarterback, now converted wide receiver, John Reese Plumley got seven receptions for 110 yards. And in the defense, AJ Finley, one of their defensive backs, he got 12 tackles and two interceptions. So he had a good day. But the golfing class showed in this one. I don't know what to make with Willis. He was getting hit a hell of a lot, which doesn't help. And he was getting pressured to hell, but he did make some bad mistakes in this as well. And this won't have boded well for his draft stock. No, the the Malik Willis train, it's derailed. It's his third game this year with three interceptions. And for me, unfortunately, his draft stock is plummeting. I am no longer, I don't want him on the Lions anymore. I do not trust him in the passing game. You, you can only make excuses for him so many times. I know he was sacked nine times, but what about the other two games? Did they have pressure there, or is it just mental errors and the arm's not strong enough? There was accuracy questions before this week. This was one of the biggest games probably in the history, and Jordan disappointed most. All Miss had their foot on their throat at time and they took it off. I don't know what happened, but they took their foot off the pedal, and I hate to see that. Like, if you're a team like that, you crush them. Ole Miss should have crushed Liberty. They should have buried them in that second half. So, for me, they weren't ruthless enough. This game, we said it was either going to be great or a damp squib. It turned into a damp squib. But on the other side, Matt Corral, he has got to be the biggest winner in all of football. This year has done wonder for his stock. He is turning the ball over so little. He's making smart decisions, deciding not to throw and take off and run. He's put together some really nice rushing efforts. Sam Williams, that edge, he's one of the leading sacks in the whole nation. He's having a fantastic year. They still can't stop the run. Ole Miss all year can't stop the run. Teams are running on them. I think it was Louisville. Like They're just really struggling all year to stop any sort of that. But in the end, they run fairly comfortably. It was quite funny what happened about the uh, the tweet. They took a huge shot. Hugh Freeze, the head coach, but that tweet got deleted pretty quickly after full time. I think the admin <laughs> got told off. But no, it was a very disappointing game. I wanted to see more from Liberty because this was, like I say, one of their highlights. This was them proving they belong in those upper echelons of the FBS, but they, they're just not ready yet. Uh, Malik Willis is, is nowhere near ready. Like, it's hard to have a justification for him going in the first round right now. 
he needs to clear this up and tidy this up. He's got to have a clean finish to end the season, and that that is a paramount. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they've got Louisiana this week, so it's a ranked team. So it's an opportunity for him to put the record straight, but it is not going to be easy. That Raging Cajun side are really good, and they're going to cause him a lot of problems. So, yeah, it was disappointing in the end. But I suppose the gulf between the two teams, we should have expected maybe it to go that way. But yeah, Willis now is probably sliding down draft boards. However, if this now results in a scenario where we can drag him a lot further down in the draft than where we do before, the value may still be there if you're getting him into developmental territory, maybe later in the second. I feel like someone's still going to take a go on him, but if, if this game bumps him down far enough, it could end up in a blessing in disguise, value-wise, but we'll see. As, as, as for Matt Corral, like you said, yeah, he's had a wonderful season. I mean, you've watched him develop quite a lot. You saw him in the bad days. You're seeing him now. What? Just quickly, where do you reckon his ceiling is in this draft now? Roughly. Uh, I've seen a lot of him about Washington at six. I think he's kind of at like four to seven. He's definitely landing in the top 10. For me, he's the only quarterback right now that's anywhere near pro ready. Like I say, I saw him last year and the year before. He was erratic. He can make 70-yard bombs, but then he throws into windows that aren't there. Sometimes he was just too eager, a bit twitchy. He let go of balls that shouldn't. But this year, this year he's been conservative. There's been he's he's decided not to take shots even when guys were open. He's took it and run, and I think he's shown a little bit more patience. He's matured, which I think is a big word for him. I think uh, Lane Kiffin has put an arm around him and said, you know, chill out. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to win the game in the first half. So you don't have to throw three interceptions trying too hard. We've got Jerry Ealy and uh, Scotty Phillips, a great pair of running backs. They've taken all that pressure off him. And he's just tidied it up. And that's all everyone wanted to see him. They knew he could do it all. And now he knows when to just put the brake on a little bit. So uh, I'm really excited what to see from him next year. And he's such a likeable kid as well. But don't believe his stats. Someone's listed him at like 6'2 somewhere. <laughs> he's yeah. a little over six foot. Yeah, that, that's a bit uh, getting carried away. Well, uh, they'll be exposed when they get to the Indianapolis Combine because that usually chucks out these faux stats from the colleges right out the window. And it's quite funny to see the differentials in some of them. It's just like, yeah, you fib, you're not even trying to like cover the point that you're lying about this, but it's always funny to see. Um, but yeah, you start with this narrative at the start of the season that Matt Corral could potentially be the highest drafted quarterback in this class. You'd have been like, yeah, no. What are you smoking? It's uh, It's been quite a rise for him, but you know, fair play to him, and hopefully he gets to the high spot in the draft he deserves, providing he can close the season out as, as he has done the rest of this. So hopefully he can have a full clean season, and yeah, his, his stock's going to be all over the place. So well done, Matt Corral. Um, moving on now, now I'm going to focus on one that I watched. This is... Where I said possibly an upset could happen, this is a former heavyweight against a current heavyweight and was quite a disappointing game in some aspects. But this was number two ranked Alabama against LSU. Now, this was a weird one. LSU started 
hot first drive, just slice through Alabama like a hot knife through butter. And then they did nothing until pretty much the end of the third quarter. They got stifled to absolute hell. But Alabama were not much better. Their run game was non-existent. And I mean, absolutely non-existent. And I think it's only because that the LSU secondary is all in the you know, on the sidelines, in the medical tent, injured, that they were able to come out of this one winners. But Alabama snuck this one 20 to 14. It was a bit of a messy game. Max Johnson, the LSU quarterback, uh, he threw 16 of 32, only 160 yards, a couple of touchdowns and and, an interception. Tyrion Davis-Price, the running back, he got 104 rushing yards on 23 carries. The defense got four sacks on Bryce Young, so they kept him honest and they, you know, the run game, they really were brutal with it. On Alabama's side, Bryce Young still having a great year for a first-year guy. 302 yards, two touchdowns thrown, completed 24 of 37. Nothing wrong with those sort of stats there. The running game, though, as I'll say, Brian Robinson Jr., the running back, he had 13 carries. He got 18 yards, 1.4 yards per carry that was it. He did get a touchdown, but it was right on the goal line stuff. He didn't have to do much to get that, but they hurt them through the air. The two main threats there for them, Jamison Williams, 10 for 160 and a touchdown, and John Mechie, 9 for 73 and a touchdown. Those two combined for 19 of the 24 receptions that Bryce Young threw, so you can tell how important those two are to the cause. I mean, I don't know if you saw this one, right? but for me, even though LSU was sloppy, if their secondary was healthy, I think they win this game. They came close. They got a drive to be able to put this one to bed, but were unable to convert it. But it was just quite blatantly obvious that they knew the running game weren't working. They were containing it well. So they just went for that vulnerable secondary and they got a lot of success and they got just enough to win this one. No, I agree. Yeah, I watched a large part of it. A healthy LSU probably could have taken down this Alabama side, I agree. Four sacks, so they, they managed to get pressure on the quarterback who was able to get the ball off quickly. Like I say, there was no run game. It's, it, it really makes it difficult when you've got a young quarterback and you're not able to take pressure off him when he's not able to hand off the ball. Very limited LSU, that front seven and the linebackers played extremely well. They kept everything, the containment, they sealed the edges, everything was inside, they were able to collapse the pocket. And Alabama really got lucky this week. Like, it, it's true what they say, there is no number two team in the nation that's solidified, and that just disproved it. LSU just didn't have the bodies to make the plays to win the game. Max Johnson was okay, but he's still a young man, he needs a bit of help, but there's no experienced bodies really there on the offense to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Otherwise, points were left on the board, like on the field. I mean, LSU would probably like this one back, and Alabama were very lucky to survive. I think they'll be probably pretty relieved that that game's out of the way now. One team with everything to lose underperformed, and a team with nothing to lose that would like that game back again and try get a little bit closer. Yeah, it was such a weird one. Like I say, LSU was shackled for so long, but Alabama were just unaway, una, not able to get away from them. And, you know, it was it shows vulnerability there. 
there's been a few times they've been run close this year and they could easily have two or three defeats on another day. I remember the Gators game, they could have lost that. They could have lost this one. Things might not be so rosy there. But one guy I do want to talk about, and he doesn't get anywhere near mentioned enough for what he does. And it's probably because the class is so loaded here. But Will Anderson, the edge plays a linebacker, but he plays off the edge. In this game alone, he had eight solo tackles. He had four assists. He had one and a half sacks. He's got seven sacks in his last three games. He's got 10 on the year. Every time I've watched Alabama, he's been an absolute colossus on that defense. But when you're hearing about edge players in this class, you never hear his name mentioned. But he is one hell of a player, and I do believe he's declaring in this draft. You know, is this a guy who could just be slipping down because of other guys above him? I mean, if he goes down any, you know, if he goes down quite low, he could be an absolute steal, this guy, when it comes to draft time. This this whole edge class is absolutely stacked. Sam Williams, we just mentioned at uh, Ole Miss, he's got like eight and a half sacks. He's been the leader of that defense. Let's say Will Anderson. This is probably the fact that there's so many big names that these these well not even smaller guys are just not getting the love that they should do. Who knows? Hybrid, let's say, has played outside linebacker, but he's able to rush off the edge because he's got the speed, he's got the technique. He's not the biggest, he's not the strongest, but he uses what he takes from outside linebacker, goes on edge, and he's able to make things happen, gets in the backfield, great tackler. He's able to bring the quarterback down when he gets hands on him, so he's got that finishing ability. He's someone that's definitely going to be a potential steal. If he slides in this draft, or if he's a bit of an afterthought, I think someone's probably going to regret not taking him over because the likes you've got Thibodeau, you've got Hutchinson, you've got Carl Aftis, they're flashy names, but that's what they are. They're flashy. And then these other guys are getting overlooked below them because even though they're having great teams, they're just not getting enough media attention, not getting enough love, but the numbers and the stats put them probably at the top of the class. Exactly. And this is why I have such strong opinions on Kayvon in this draft. I just think the value is there to be had later in the draft for these guys, guys who are just potentially just as good and can get the same sort of, you know, progression on the field. And you're not going to have to spend anywhere near the amount you might have to for some of the premium guys for this, just simply because the class is so stacked. But yeah, Edge is certainly a place to go in this draft. There's going to be so many, and we're going to do some videos looking at some of the guys going forward because there's just there's so many potential game changes in there. It's really exciting, especially for teams like us who need them. But, um, you know, Will Anderson is certainly getting underappreciated at the minute, and he's going to provide great value for someone if he does slide down this draft. Um, we'll move it on then. So Alabama, lucky in that one. We'll... Um, Let's stop by your guys now this week. We'll do we'll do this little bit with you. This was an ugly game to be a quarterback. I had a look through earlier. I think the quarterbacks, the two starting quarterbacks combined for about 270 passing yards between them all game. No passing touchdowns and three interceptions thrown. This was very squarely down on the... Uh, the runners in this one and yours are quite frankly a lot better than USC's and they saw you through this one in the end. Yep, Jaden Daniels, I think now has gone two, two games now with no touchdowns and four interceptions combined. We just cannot pass the ball right now. And that's on him because we've actually got one of the best defensive lines in the Pac-12. 
it's very experienced. Some of these all line are going to get drafted. We've just had the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. Senior running back Rashad White, 202 yards, pair of touchdowns. We've also got, uh, we've got Chip Trainum and Daniel Nagata. We've got one of the best three-headed running back monsters in probably the nation. We're a team that runs the ball and we ran it down their throat. We smashed it down their throat. It was, it was fantastic to watch. We took the lead and it never looked like slipping. And I thought this was probably a potential slip-up game for us because how things have been lately, very up and down week to week. But I was pleasantly surprised. The penalties receded because we've been one of the leaders in penalties for the last few weeks as well. Total lack of discipline. But this week, everything came together. We're playing a USC team that's just lost uh, Drake, the wide receiver, which was a huge loss for them. Yeah, He's their biggest deep threat and a major outlet for them. And without him, he looks like a bit of a shoddy, bit of an odd job kind of guys behind him. So we were playing them at just the right time. But like I said, the defence, it generates turnovers. We've got great players. We've got a good secondary in there. We've got Chase Lucas. We've got Darius Butler. We've got uh, Fields, uh, Jack Jones. They're all having great years. A lot of these are draft eligible. We've got some nice corners. And just for once, everything came together. And we did it in some flashy uniforms but they're not on my uniform of the list week because that's too biased, but we will we wear some very sunny uniforms as well. You've not used them yet, though. I, th- I think I think you're at the point now where if you want, you can use them. You've, you've not put them in yet, which is great restraint. I thought you would have by now, but, you know, fair play to you for not doing so and having a look elsewhere. But I think, you know, yeah, you're right with USC. They're lost, and no one is lost more so than Keaton Slovis, who's absolutely lost in this draft now. There were people at the start of this year saying first round pick, bang on. Well, (laughs) you can kiss those fantasies goodbye. He threw another pick today. Didn't really do a great deal in the passing game. I feel like he's heading down into Derek King territory now where he might struggle to get drafted full stop. I just don't see the appeal there, even in some of like the middle rounds of going for him at the minute. No, I kind of feel sorry for him. Actually, things have not gone his way all this year. Lost Claire Helton. He's lost his favourite target. The team just looks bad in general. And he is the one that suffered the most. Right now, he's probably going in the fifth or sixth round. Probably someone's going to have to take a flyer on him. Even though he's got probably developmental project upside, everything has just gone wrong at the possible worst time for him. Like the Trojans right now, they stink. Like they were supposed to be up there as one of the Pac-12 contenders. And they look like a chump. We thrust ourselves back into contention, which I'm so glad about. Like things are really getting up and heating down, coming to the wire now. But it was a big win for us. Like we really had to do it to get back into the title race. So it was a great thing. And we've got uh, another big game next. We played last time. We played a team that fired all its staff. We got badly beaten. I'm hoping Lightning won't strike twice. <laughs> Yeah, you don't like playing Washington teams who've just dispensed with the head coach or in this case suspended him, do you? So hopefully history doesn't strike twice in this case because I think you'd be pulling your hair out if it did and your coach would be sweating himself, I think, if he loses that one. I don't think there's any way he can justify a defeat to them, not the state they're in and the injuries they've got as well. No, if we lose to Washington, Herm Edwards will have to go because it will 
been the last nail in the coffin of a Pac-12 South title and a championship game. But we'll, they'll be the underdog looking to cause an upset and we just have to just put in another repeat performance. That's all I want, just do the exact same again. We just need to run the ball because it's what we do best. Exactly, exactly. And, and that Pac-12, like you say, is just absolutely crowded at the minute. So there are a lot of games which have a lot on the line for them. So it does make for some entertaining watching if you can stand the 10 past three kickoffs in the morning. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's good. Anyhow, we'll move it on. So I'm going to end this week's reviews with a couple of big shootouts here, and then we'll discuss a few of the other games. So one team we said we wanted to give some love to earlier, who we are doing, that's the Houston Cougars. They seem to have come out of nowhere, really. They had a big win last week. They upset SMU took their winning record away from them and sent them on a little bit of a spiral because they lost again this week. But this week they were playing USF, the University of South Florida, and this was a big shootout win. They actually won 54 points to 42. This was pretty even up until halftime, and then they sort of ran away with it as the third quarter went on. But Clayton Tune, he carried on his great form. He only completed 21 passes, but he got 385 yards and three touchdowns, which isn't a bad day's work. Two running backs got into the century categories to Sean Henry, 130 yards and a touchdown, and Alton McCaskill, 125 yards and three touchdowns. And the receivers took their fill as well. Nathaniel Dell got eight for 164 and a touchdown, and Kishon Carter, six for 123. This, um, this Houston offense are humming at the right time of the year now. They seem to be just going everywhere and putting down a lot of points on people against some decent sides as well, because this USF team, have also had a few good results this year, but they've gone and smacked 54 down on them. Yeah, Dana Holgerson has got things ticking over nicely just at the right time. Houston, like I say, they've always been a bit of a air raid side. They've always liked to throw very heavily, but when they're able to run the ball and manage the clock, they're able to, like I say, see teams out and get out of the line in the end. Dell and Clayton Tune in the last two weeks have put up huge numbers together. Like they're, they're really, I'd like to say, in tune, pardon the pun. But not everything is singing nicely as that offence right now. And for a one-loss team, they're going to land themselves a really nice ball game. <clears throat> Things have come together nicely for the Cougars. Definitely. And they're a fun team to watch at the minute. I've had a chance to see a little bit of it. And yeah, I think Clayton Tune looks just in the form of his life at the minute, which is really good to see. So, you know, great for them. But I mean, USF, they did their part as well. Their quarterback, he threw nearly 300 yards, a couple of touchdowns, got himself a rushing touchdown. That's Timmy McLean. But the star of USF's show was actually a returner. Their running back, Brian Batty, he had three kick returns. And his stats for his three kick returns, 208 yards and two touchdowns. (laughs) You do not see stats like that very often, but I think two of them were pretty much full-length pitch returns for touchdowns. So honourable mention to him there. You know, that's quite something to get 208 yards returning off just three three kick returns. So well done, Brian Batty. the last one I've got here, this is a, a ranked team getting upset by an unranked side who you just don't really know what to expect from at the minute. But this was uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. And Kentucky continued the curse of number 18. Now, I know it got broken for a week, but 
These are ranked teams who shouldn't lose all the time. And they were ranked 18th this week and they went and got themselves defeated. They ended up 45-42. Yet another shootout here. Paul will leave this again. There seems to be so many quarterbacks who have played their absolute hearts out this week and just been left out and hung out to dry by their defences. He threw 31 of 49, 372 yards, three touchdowns, an interception. He also got two rushing touchdowns and 50 rush yards as well. Um, I mean, God, they they filled their boots here. Chris Rodriguez, the running back, he got 109 yards. Wandale Robinson, 166 yards and a touchdown. The linebacker, J.J. Weaver, he got himself five tackles, two and a half sacks, so a good day for him. But Tennessee were just a little bit better. Hendon Hooker, he's someone who I'm starting to like quite quickly. He's having himself a good year, despite them having sort of an average one. He threw four touchdowns, 316 yards, and, you know, we've got a whole host of receivers getting bits there. But this is, again, another shootout one. Kentucky have just completely and utterly fallen off the rails. I think this is their third defeat in a row. They were unbeaten before this, and they're, they're, they're just fading into obscurity now. And Paul Will Leavis is doing everything he can and that defence ain't playing ball with him. Well, Will Levis actually had three interceptions last week, and Rodriguez, I think, had a fumble. So last week, they were awful. But in the one week they actually bounced back, the defence actually goes work, just goes total walkabouts, really let them down. One deal, Robinson is a guy that draft people are loving. They're saying he's going to be a huge riser in his stock. He's looking like a really good guy that's got... Smaller size, but he's pretty athletic, makes good plays. Hendon Hooker, I remember him. He was the Virginia Tech quarterback, I think, that transferred. He's a guy that's actually really good. He's a nice dual threat guy. This was a game that could have gone either way. It was really unpredictable. It was pretty chaotic. And I think, as you say, Kentucky, unfortunately, year, they got bowl eligible, but now they're just fading away into obscurity. The season's just falling really flat and it's a shame to see Will Levis is a guy that I like he has very up and down weeks he managed to pick it up this week but the guys around him just didn't always help him out even though they managed to establish a run game and a passing game the defense just didn't bend but break but just broke completely gave up way too many big players and such a huge hole like say that even the best guys can't get themselves out of yeah, exactly. And but you know, these shootouts are fun to watch at least though. <laughs> you know, when you're putting up nearly hundred points in a game, it does give you a lot of fun there. But yeah, as I said, they, they reignited the number 18 curse. So if you're looking at that this week, I believe it is Baylor who sit at 18 this week. And I think they have a pretty big game, if I remember rightly. We'll go on to it in a minute because we're nearly done here. But um yeah, other other games I sort of mentioned there. I don't know whether you saw any of them, but um there was the one we couldn't call last week. That was Oban and Texas A&M. They were 13th and 14th ranked. And I remember us talking about that game going, I've no idea what the hell's going to happen here. Neither of us could pick a winner. We both suspected it would be Texas A&M simply because of Bo Nix, but we decided against it. But we should really have known better. Texas A&M won that one 20 points to three. It was a little bit of a bad day for Oban there. And Bonix once again proving that he's just a frustratingly bad player at times. Um, there were a few other defeats for Ragsides as well. The other one I called last week, Arkansas and Mississippi State. 
that was technically an upset. Arkansas were unranked. They won that one very closely. It was 31 to 28, but they did sneak that one out. Baylor, they lost. They were ranked 12th. They lost to TCU, which is going to have driven Patterson crazy the week after he's fired. They go to a ranked team in Baylor who've been playing really well in fairness, and they put them away 30 to 28. I bet he absolutely, well, I suppose he loved it because he's been there for so long, but it's frustrating when you lose your job. It's like in football over here, when you lose your job and then you go and see your team smash someone a lot better a few days later. It just drives you absolutely mad. And then the other one I've got here, SMU. They lost again. They lost to Memphis, which was surprising, 28 to 25. Uh, Were there any of those games you were able to get a hold of or anything that surprised you in there out of all of those? I watched the TCU game and I was really surprised because TCU didn't have Max Duggan, didn't have Zach Evans. So there was no running back one and no quarterback one. So they managed to beat a high-powered Baylor team by playing up their own game. It was really close in the end. There was a Bonnegan, I can't remember Baylor's quarterback name, but he made a few key mistakes and they managed to ride their luck a little bit at the end and saw that game out. So that was a, a huge upset, especially in the state of... Texas, because then two teams are close together. That's a big rivalry. And SMU, they've really fallen flat. Like they kind of, I think, got a bit ahead of themselves. Tanner Mordecai still putting up huge numbers, and but the rest of the team seem to have lost their way a little bit since they lost that undefeated season. And now, like I say, the bounce, they need to bounce back. They've had two losses in a row. Memphis are a good team. They're always a high-scoring team. Like they love a shootout. So. That was a game where it was up for grabs for anyone. So I think these are teams that are going to be interesting to see. And Bonix being Bonix, Mr. Inconsistent, he did good job to slow down Tank Bigsby. And when you slow him down and put the game on Bonix, he usually falls flat on his face because he's just a bit of a bottle job, in it? He just can't hack the big games. You, you know what? Next time, I'm not even debating it. It's like I'm betting against him. I know we were both here last week and both of us refused to give out a, a winner in that one because we just didn't know. But that Calzada has been doing a lot better for the AM recently. He's reju- He's a player who's like probably most improved player this season from when he started to what he is now. It's night and day. But yeah, next time I'm not, I'm, I'm betting against Elba. I just, I'm, they're just one of those teams. Though. Every time you bet against them, they pull a win out of their arse and you're just like, Jesus, it's such an inconsistent thing. But is there any other games from that week? Because that was my list. I know there's a lot of ranked teams we haven't mentioned, but again, there were a lot of blowout wins in there. I guess Cincinnati were very, very lucky to escape from a, a fourth and goal situation with an interception just to sneak past Tulsa. Yeah, they were very disappointing. Ridder was okay, but that feels like how his season's going the last few weeks. He's just been okay. Like the things are really slowing down there. They're getting in these close games, not able to put sides away. And there was another game, the military ball. I think Army took down Air Force in a very close game. And Army passed the ball. Army actually got some passing touchdowns. And these two teams run triple option. They throw the ball. That was a big win because Air Force were having a really good year. So fair play to the Black Knights. They managed to dig out a few passing players out of the book and put away a good Falcons team. And those military games... They're always so high, such tough games because they just smash each other pound and ground. I love military matchups. Yeah, I think 
is it the army? I think he's got to a Luavali or something like that. He's actually one who can throw it. I think I'm thinking of the right team. I know the name, and I think it's for army, but they, they've put up some, in fairness, they all have put up some decent performances this year. There's been a few shocks in there. So I didn't get a chance to watch that one, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I bet it is fun for, from that point of view. Like you say, they just they just run the triple option and just run the hell out of one another, see who's still standing at the end. Dan Campbell would probably love that style, to be fair, wouldn't he? You can imagine him being right at home in one of those games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tight, tight ends. You need good tight ends in a triple option because, like say, fakes, crack blocks, getting handoffs. He'd love that kind of football. For some reason, it just don't work at the pro level. I don't know why, but teams just never try it. Yeah, I suppose fans will grow tired of it very quickly, especially the casual ones, I guess, if you're just running it all the time. It seems to be a, a, common, a common complaint sometimes that people run it too much. Unless you've got Derek Henry and he makes it fun every time he runs the ball. But, you know, were there any other games you want to get in the recap this week? Yeah. I, think I will I put think an honourable mention in there to the Michigan Derby last week, but I think we discussed it last week. Central and Western, they had a great game. But that was last Wednesday now. No, I think like that. Those were the main. Like, say it was another bad week to be a ranked team. Like, say, and those stats. I think those stats say a lot more about the rankings than they do the teams. Like, say, almost two thirds of ranked teams losing to unranked teams. Maybe that just tells us teams shouldn't be ranked or didn't deserve to be ranked at the time. It's a it's a weird one, especially all the unranked defeats. I feel like a lot of it is, especially guys in like the 15 to 25 category, where decent teams have one loss, get bounced out into unranked, but they're still pretty good. And then they're just sort of swapping with each other because that back half, they've been swapping all over the place. Even the top 10, there's been a lot of top 10 defeats as well. You think of teams like Iowa who've fallen completely off the grid and, you know, Florida were up there early. It's, yeah, it, it's a weird one, but... They're definitely on pace to set a record. In fact, I think it's already been broken. I think I think it was 67 or something at one point. They're already at 68. But if, if they haven't broken the record yet, they, they very soon will. So, yeah, that's the review for, for week 10. Again, a lot of good games in there. And it's so interesting seeing it get to the business end of the season now, what's going on with sides. But um, before we move on to the preview for week 11, of course, you know, we've seen the games. We now need to see the style. And we have the style counsellor, the uniform guy, Ryan. Which uniforms popped this week and which uniforms left a lot to be desired? I've gone controversial this week. I'll start with the uniform I hated. And it was Oregon. Like, why on earth would you have a yellow and silver helmet with, like, white and green? The colour scheme just didn't work this week. It was like a Lauren, It was like a Jackson Pollock painting or a room designed by Lawrence Dewell and Bowen. Too much fancy wallpaper. It just didn't work. It clashed. So, no, I, they're usually the kings of swag, but I just didn't like it. It's it my just while, job. Just while you're on this, I missed the week when they had the Oreo biscuit uniform. I hope that was in the good category, or did you pan that? No, that came that came second. That was my favourite. That was All right, that's favorite. fine. That's fine. I appreciate that. But... My runner-up this week, actually, is a game that was last night. And it was Western Michigan. Now, I know people are thinking they wear chocolate brown. Now, in pro sports, no one wears brown uniforms because it's just not a nice colour. But for some reason, they make it look nice. 
They have this lovely white helmet with the brown Bronco. They had a nice fancy like brown stripe down the middle and it just looks nice. It's what they do. They're a brown team and they make it look good. They pull off a colour that no one makes look good. Not even Cleveland Browns because they look horrible. But Western Michigan have a nice chocolate brown. And the winners this week are the TCU Horn Frogs. And if anyone needs to go see these, it's black and purple, but with like red sleeves and red numbers. And it looks like it's kind of like a weird, dark, husky mix. And I love it. Like it looks like a quality street tin. Like it's got a lovely shade of purple, a bit of red. <laughs> kind of festive, but I think TCU <laughs> back this week. Colours that don't usually go together, but blended very nicely. And they got a huge win with it. They looked good. They played good. So everyone's happy. And I'd like to give an honourable mention to Salute to Service. It's Veterans Day on Thursday. So a lot of this weekend, a lot of teams put out military themes and a lot of helmets. And Purdue had the beautiful black helmet with camo P on it. And it had this camo dark stripe down the centre. It looked fantastic. Like, it's nice to see veterans and salute to service uniforms. And there's a few teams out there that had camo and army helmets. And it's just a lovely touch and it looked really nice. Purdue got a big win and their uniforms were really good. Yeah, in fairness, salute to service. They always usually bring out some quite good designs. I know when every time we're looking on, um, uh, oh God, fanatics and that, a lot of their salute to service gear is really good. I think we've all got at least one piece of it somewhere. Um, yeah, that, I agree with you there. I saw the TCU one; it looked amazing. I must admit, when we started this, I never thought I'd hear a winner described as looking like a box of quality street. But you know, I appreciate the attention to detail there and thinking about it. Yeah. They absolutely did. So those are the uniforms of the week. So go and check them out. You've got TCU and Western Michigan. And then on the uh, flip side of things, yeah, let's let's not mention that one. It was uh, it was pretty awful. So we'll uh, we'll end the week 10 review there and we'll take a look ahead at week 11 because there are a lot of fixtures here. I didn't think they were initially, but I've ended up writing a lot down. So maybe we'll have a quick look at them and uh, let's try and find some upsets for the week. The first one goes on tomorrow night. So obviously the Lions might be looking for a quarterback in the draft, depending on what your point of mind is. And last week we had Malik Willis versus um, Matt Corral, which I think of the names there. And this week we've got another one that might concern you in regards to this. So tomorrow night, UNC, that wonderful team who just seem to be gelling at the right time, they travel to number 21 ranked Pittsburgh, which pits Sam Howell against Kenny Pickett. Now, Kenny Pickett's obviously the older guy, 23 years old, and that's the concern about him going into the draft. But he's having a really good year. Let's face it, he is, you know, he's potential outsider in the Heisman race, but that's how good he's been. Sam Howell is just getting better week by week. Um this is going to be a very interesting quarterback duel, this one. A bit of a clash of styles. One team that's really offensively minded, another that relies on its defence a bit more. What do we see going on in this one? UNC, Pittsburgh. This is going to be a shootout. There's no way this can be shot. It can be a low-scoring game. Kenny Pickett, he passes 30, 40, 50 times a week. He has got that poor, that pass-pro pocket passer offence. His offensive line keep him upright. He picks teams off. He'll probably pass for 400, 500 yards. He's a really solid team. We've just seen a UNC team that put up a decent defensive performance, if you can say that. Cornerback stormed up. Was it 
Is it Chase Chase Kelly won it safety with two interceptions? Cameron. They have got a Cameron Kelly. They've got a real big game on their hands because that Pittsburgh can score points quickly and heavily. If this team gets in front, they're usually not caught. There's someone that likes to lead from the front. Like I said, he's an athletic quarterback, Kenny Pickett, but he doesn't want to run the ball. He does not want to leave the pocket. He wants to take shots. Whereas on the flip side, Sam Howell likes to run the ball. But if you leave the door open for him to squeak out, he's shown in the last few weeks, he will tuck it and he will run. So these are two very different kind of quarterbacks. One's more mobile, the other unwilling to run. This, I think Pitt, Pitt should win. But it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be a game where the complementary running games will decide it. Ty Chandler needs to have another big game to help them manage the clock. But this one could go either way. UNC are actually got a bit of confidence now. So they like their chances at taking down a high-powered pit team. So it's going to be one to watch, I think. Quickly, who do you reckon is going to win? I'll give this one to Pitt, 40-35. Oh, see, I don't know. I just, I, I do like UNC at the moment. I'm not going to lie. I do think they're doing a lot better than they were. And I, I'm really rooting for Sam Howell. All that criticism he got week one, because I was never big on him. But the way he got slated after that Virginia Tech game, I suddenly became very sympathetic towards him. And I like him quite a lot. Now, I'm going to go UNC with the, I guess it would be the upset ranked first on rank. But these aren't really upsets anymore. They're weekly occurrences. So, yeah, but that's on tomorrow night, actually. So if you want to stay up a little late, you're up overnight, whatever, get that on. It'll be on YouTube. You'll be able to find a stream pretty easy. It'll be a hell of a game. So, you know, get that on if you can. Next up, I've got... Now, this is going to be a very intriguing one. This is ranked on ranked. This is number 19 ranked Purdue at Ohio State University ranked number four. They've taken out the number two seed. They've taken out the number three seed. Can they take out the number four seed, Ryan? No, this this may be a step a little bit too far. Don't get me wrong. I think they've got the quarterback. They've got Bell. They've got the receiver. They've got they've got two guys that will help them hang in there. They will put up big yardage between them. Probably get a few touchdowns between them. But everywhere else, they've got Anthrop. They're a receiver, but. I think all the other holes are where Ohio State will uh, be able to catch them out. They've got the two freshman phenoms, Trivian Henderson, CJ Stroud, that are racking up yards and scores for fun. This could also be very high scoring. I think if all if Ohio State don't come and play defense and don't and honest, they don't respect the Purdue offense, then they could get a bit of a surprise. But I've got this one as a, a comfortable Ohio State win. I think Purdue should give a good account of themselves. Yeah, this Ohio State team are probably better than where they're ranked at the minute. I know they had a slow start to the year, but this offense is absolutely humming now. But they are coming up against the defense, which in its own right is mighty on its day. Usually it's not Purdue relying on its offense to win games. It's relying on its defense to keep the score down far enough for them to be involved in it. So... The one guy I want you all to watch, if you're listening, is George Karlaftis. Now, I love this guy. I love him in this edge class. I believe that he's going to be better than Kayvon when it comes up to the NFL level. I'm going to be doing a video to back this up. This isn't just hyperbole or just a hot take or anything. I genuinely think this guy's got one of the best 
arsenal of pass rushing moves in the entirety of college football at the minute. Certainly of the class coming up, he can do it all. He can put pressure on quarterbacks. He's a potential game changer and this is his place to shine. This is his stage to shine on. Away at Ohio State, I think he's going to have a big game. I think he's going to give CJ Stroud a lot of problems, but do keep an eye out on him. However, if he doesn't play well, don't come and at me next week because that's just mean. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to stick my neck out here. I'm going to put the upset alert on this one. I'm going to say that Purdue are going to beat Ohio State. I think this offense, I think their defense is capable of just creating enough problems for them to be able to capitalize on this one. And Ohio State has shown they can be vulnerable at times. It's a very big gamble with this one, but I'm backing Carl Aftis. I reckon him and the rest of his fellow defense can, can do enough in this one for Purdue to cause an upset. So we'll see. I'm probably not going to get this one right, but well, I know these, these things happen. So we'll move on. Uh, staying in the Big Ten now. So we've got number six ranked Michigan. The Wolverines, they travel to Penn State this week. Now, obviously, the big battle here, Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum coming up against this run defense for Penn State, which doesn't let a lot of teams run on them. And Penn State, in their own right, can be dangerous. They're unranked now. You know, they're running out of things to play for. But sometimes that takes the pressure off. And then James Franklin, they've got one of the best head coaches in college football at the moment. This is going to be, you know, a lot of people have said the Wolverines haven't had the biggest of schedules. They've not had that statement win this season. Going to Penn State and winning would be the statement win they require for legitimacy this year, don't you think? It would, it would be, yeah. It, it would do wonders for their schedule that's not been the hardest. This is a game where, is it possible both teams lose? I really don't like either team to take the, the ball by the horns and take this game by the scruff of the neck. I think Sean Clifford now is probably reasonably back to health for Penn State, which is a good thing. I look back at the Penn State, the Auburn team, like I said, they weren't able to stop Tank Bigsby that well. Can they stop Blake Corum and uh, Hassan? I don't think they will. I think this could be ugly, but I think Michigan may just, just nick this one if they can't stop the run Penn State, but I don't expect this to be high scoring. I don't expect this team, either team, to score more than 30 points. I think this will very much go the way of Penn State-Auburn. It's going to be a low-scoring defensive battle. But I think for the sake of their year and highlight win for their schedule, I think Michigan will finally step up. This is the big game for them to bounce back. This is a huge opportunity for them. They can't afford to let this pass, especially for John Harbaugh, because there'll be serious questions for him because he's the rank side. Penn State out, so they'll be looked at as the uh, team that've got more to lose. But in reality, I don't know if either team have got that much to lose because I think Michigan have already done enough damage to their credentials this year. But Wolverines just nick this one, I think. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you here. I've backed Penn State a few times this year, but I'm never fully confident in them. But I do like them as a team. But I don't know. I just have a gut feeling for this one. I look at it and they say. The Wolverines are going to win probably in a low-scoring one, like you say. They're going to nick it, and you know we'll, we'll see what it does for them going forward. But yeah, Wolverines to just nick that one. Now the next one is very interesting. This is 
probably this is one of our few undefeated teams left, and this is probably going to be one of the biggest tests of their credentials. Although they've had a few close runs this year, so the Sooners, Oklahoma, they are back in action. They're ranked number eight at the minute, and they're traveling to Baylor, who are ranked 13 now. I know Baylor just had the defeat to TCU this week, but it's not an easy place to go and get a victory. As you said, Ryan Lee, it's a high-powered offense, and the Sooners' defense have struggled to contain teams this year. They've had a lot of points put up on them by teams they shouldn't really be conceding points to, but this is a legit good offense. Is the uh, is the upset button sounding for you in this one, or is Caleb Williams and this rejuvenated side going to be proved to be too much for Baylor? Uh, I, I can see a potential upset. I think if Oklahoma lose it won't because of Caleb Williams. I expect Caleb Williams to have a good day. He's going to put up some good numbers. So will uh, Bonnegan, like say, the Baylor quarterback. He should also have a very good day. I think I want to pick Baylor. I want to put my upset hat here because I feel like they'll be licking their wounds. They'll be pissed after losing to TCU. Like that, that will have stung because that won't have happened. So that's a little extra added motivation. Oklahoma right now, they've had it a bit easy. Even though they're making hard teams of things, like no one's given that real challenge. This could be that real challenge to their undefeated run. And the cl- the playoff committee have come out and said, well, we're only ranking Oklahoma off what we've seen from Caleb Williams. We're l- overlooking all the Spencer Atlas stuff, which shouldn't be how it's done. So this this will be a week where the committee will be watching them very carefully because they've kind of hung their hat on them. But I'm going to say Baylor take this one in a shootout. I think there'll be zero defence play on either side. Last person that gets the ball has the chance to win with a field goal. So this counts as up. So that's that's the upset hat. You are putting it there then. You, you reckon Baylor are coming away with it. See, I just like Caleb Williams. I think the way he's handled himself since he came into this Oklahoma side has been... You know, nothing short of amazing. A lot of pressure to come in and replace Spencer Rattler, and he's done really well. I don't really like the Sooners that much, but I like him and I want them to continue winning for him. So I, I see them go in there and win it. They just seem to have found ways to win, get, win games this year, even ones they shouldn't have. Go back to like the Kansas game, stuff like that. They just, they, they've won games they shouldn't. They find a way, and I think they're just going to squeak their way to another one. Um, so yeah, I'm picking Oklahoma there. I've got your upset hat down once and now I'm going to tempt I'm going to tempt it twice whether this is one or not but your favorite team Notre Dame they're ranked ninth currently at the moment and this week they travel to the University of Virginia who themselves who they're very hit and miss this season but on their day they're a very very tough team to beat and they've beaten some good sides this year um, care to lay the hat down on this one as well or are you going to surprise me and back Notre Dame because Virginia's a tough place to go it's not easy and they've been inconsistent although they've been better recently No, I'm, I'm taking Virginia this is an upset Brennan Armstrong is going to slaughter that defence if Kyle Hamilton doesn't play he's going to be licking his lips and saying I'm going for 400 yards here they've got one of the best uh, receivers they've got Din Dittit Dion Tavion Wicks, one of the leading wide receivers in the nation right now. I believe them two have got a combination that should be able to take down Notre Dame. Kyron Williams is a good team player. He can keep Notre Dame in the game, help them manage the clock. But I think ultimately that lack of firepower, I still don't trust Jack Cohen. They'll still probably end up 
be alternating quarterbacks, which keeps means they never have any rhythm. I think Virginia will put massive amount of points and then they'll try to hang on for dear life. But the Cavaliers will get over the line and finally will shut up Notre Dame and everyone will prove how overrated they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I saved that one specially for after then because I thought you were going to lay your hat down there. But oh, I don't know. It's a tough one. Virginia are really good, but just as just as much as they can be good on their bad days, they can lose to anybody. And you just don't know which side's going to show up on them. So I'll split the difference here and I'll go Notre Dame and we'll see who comes up on top on this one. But I have no confidence in it whatsoever, especially with the way ranked teams are getting beaten this year. Uh, well, there's a few more, a few more good ones you might be able to watch this week. So TCU, they travel to Oklahoma State, ranked 10th. Who do we see winning this one? TCU, good win this week, but Oklahoma State... When they lost a few weeks ago, we thought, right, that's it. That's them probably done. But they've bounced back very strongly. I'll take Oklahoma State in this game because, like I said, they're, they're legit. They look a legit team. They just had another good win. They've got uh, Harvell Peel. I think he uh, yeah, forced a form ball recovered it. Like, so the defence is playing just as well as the offence. They're one of the most balanced teams probably in the top 10. And there aren't many teams that are, are that balanced on both sides of the ball. They're setting themselves up nicely for a huge bedlam game. Like I say, I think they'll probably take down TCU, who will put in a good fighting effort. They'll score the points, but they'll probably ship too many points too. Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm going to take TCU in this one. I don't know. I don't know why. I just don't trust Oklahoma State, even though they're doing really well. And the amount of upsets has been this year. I'll ride the hot hand with them. A good win, and I'll get another one here. Texas A&M, they're ranked 11th. They travel to Ole Miss, ranked 15th. Now, Ole Miss winning is technically an upset in this one, but this is, again, this is one I don't really want to call. I don't want to write Texas A&M off anymore because they're a different animal to what they were four weeks ago. But Mackerel's having a really good year and you don't want to write him off either. This is, I feel like this is going to be a good game and I think it's going to be very close. I think this will be close, but I'm going to say all Miss lose because they've proved to me every week that they, they can't stop the run. And Texas A&M, if they can do one thing, it's they can run the ball. Uh, Isaiah Spiller, they've got a very sound run game. Even in all the losses, Spiller, the running back, has always shown out. I think he's going to be able to have a field day in that team. And Zach Calzada, do you know what? There's going to be a quarterback controversy there next year. If Haynes King gets healthy, but he's the kid with the hot hand. Like he's he's showing that there's going to have to be a quarterback battle next year. It's going to be, I think he's going to end the season on a real high. I think Texas A&M could take him down in a, a low scoring game. I think I don't think it'll be that high scoring. I think these two might cancel each other out, but I'm going to take A&M. Yeah, I am as well. For the same reason as you. It's Isaiah Spiller showtime. I think he's he's gonna he's gonna run this game, and I think he's gonna he's gonna put up a lot of points and a lot of yardage. Uh, just a few more left. These are games, obviously, of interest of the weekend. If there's any that you're wanting to watch, these are probably going to be some of the better ones. We hope, anyhow. Um, North Carolina State they've worked their way up to 16th. A very high position for them. They travel this week to a very vulnerable Wake Forest, ranked 12th. Now. Do we fancy Wake Forest to lose another or, or, or are we uh, picking them to win this one? You know, I like North Carolina State as a team. I think they've had a really good year. I think they're no pushovers, but 
it depends what this offence is going to do for Wake Forest because sometimes they just put up too many points for you to counter. I think Wake Forest bounced back this week. And as you say, I just don't think North NC State can score that many points. Devin Leary, good quarterback. Zonovan Knight, good running back. That's all they are. They're good. They don't, they, they don't have 30, 40 points in them, even on a vulnerable defence like Wake Forest, who can score heavily and quickly. Even without Beal, Sam Hartman, he's got, say, Jaquir Robinson, A.T. Perra. They'll probably feast again in the passing team. And this game, people need to watch because this game has very big standings. These two right now are first and second in the ACC, their conference. Wake Forest cannot lose this game because they will be leapfrogged by NC State if they do. They're just one game behind them. This has got huge ACC title game, like permutations on the line. But I think Wake Forest will bounce back. They'll sit down, they'll ground themselves and say, Losing to, NC, losing to UNC was okay. That was the game they could afford to lose. This game, they can't afford to lose. They'll execute more. They'll execute better, manage the clock better, and they should get their season back on track this weekend. Yeah, I tend to agree. Although I will go on record as saying I want North Carolina State to win, I think. They're now forever going to hold a special place for me because they gave us a Liam McNeil, who's going to be one of my favourite players of all time, the way if he carries on as he is. So I do hope North Carolina State win, but just can't see it with this one. As I said, I don't think they can put up enough points to combat it. And Wake Forest, if anything, they always put up points. That's the one thing you can guarantee off, and they never have an off day on that offence. Uh, the only two I've got left here. So Arkansas, they're now ranked again 25th. They travel to LSU. Um, don't know if this is really an upset or not, but I mean, with all that secondary out, I was looking forward to seeing Traylon Burks take on some of these guys and have himself a great game and really show up his draft stock, but he's still going to be important. And I think for that reason, Arkansas, I reckon they're going to win this. They're going to target, they're going to do exactly what Bama did, target that weak secondary. They've got the guy to do it. And I don't think LSU are going to be able to have the response to it, but do you see it differently? No, I think, like I said, LSU right now are vulnerable. If Arkansas have got any sense, they'll just air it out. Because LSU, no offence to them, but that secondary now is full of scrubs. Trail on Burks is going to feast. If he don't go over 140 yards, Arkansas have done something wrong. They shouldn't piss about trying to run the ball against a decent LSU front that caused problems for Bama. Just avoid them at all costs. Just get rid of it quickly to your star man. And I think Max Johnson will do okay, but he's down to the bare bones in the offence. LSU are on thin ice with players and the squad numbers this year. I think this could be a pretty high-scoring win for Arkansas, and I think they'll justify they keep bouncing round, ranked, unranked. I swear they've been in and out a few times this year already, but hopefully this is the week where they solidify that they should be a ranked team. Yeah, I agree there. I think Arkansas the win for that one. And now I've left this one specifically to last. I'm just going to end the week 11 preview now. But someone put in our Discord chat this week, I can't remember who it was, but they mentioned this game and said, is there a possibility of an upset? I believe they quoted an article saying this head coach would be in trouble if he lost. And he absolutely would be in trouble if he lost this. But... This is UConn travelling to Clemson. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but someone put in our Discord chat and said, 
can there be an upset this week? So I'm going to give this one to you, Ryan. If you want to put your reputation on the line and go with an upset in this one, fine. But I think Clemson have started to find their feet again now. They hit 30 this week for the second week in a row. Are you going to go and upset Clemson? No. No offense. No offense to you, Con. They're gonna make Cle- they're gonna make Clemson look good. Clemson aren't good. UConn are gonna make them look great. Will Shipley is gonna break out in this game. I think he is gonna run wild. I don't think Ungalele will he won't do much, but he'll do what he needs to. They'll flatter him, make him look better than he is. But if for any reason they're at halftime they're losing, I'd sack I'd fire Davos when at halftime. If they if for any reason you can't have a lead, that's how little I think an upset will happen. If I will paint my face orange for a show <laughs> this year, if you can't win that game, I will put on face paint. Yeah, that's fine. We'll, 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 we'll hold you to that one. I've, I've said on the podcast that I'll wear a crown and a like red robe and everything when the Lions win a game. I'll go all regal and I'm in no danger of that happening at the minute. So, you know, fair play for taking it. But yeah, are there, are there any other games obviously that stick out this week? Obviously, Arizona State, big one in the Pac-12 against Washington. Is there any others that you're looking forward to seeing this weekend at all? Yeah. Been having a look at the lineups. I think the games to watch this weekend, like I say, not just the teams, but it's going to have to be the Big Ten West. Like I say, we've got Purdue, you've got Wisconsin and Minnesota. Like I say, Wisconsin right now, uh, they're a juggernaut because they're running the ball heavily. The defense isn't doing anything. Minnesota, right in there, but coming off a horrible loss. Like, how does PJ Fleck bounce back? He's running out of running backs. He's running out of players, but he's just got another, well, he's taken a huge, big, fat check to the bank with his seven-year extension. It's time to earn it now. Like They're in a position where they can probably try and make a title game. It won't be easy, but they have to prove why they've paid in the big books. So those are going to be two teams to watch this weekend because they're, Trending in different directions, but they've both got just as much to play for, especially with expecting Purdue to lose. They've got to capitalise. I think Wisconsin, this is the week where they pull away from the pack. And I think they will uh, solidify their thing as the big West team to beat. So there you have it. Any games you want to watch this weekend, those those are some of the ones to get involved with and some of the teams to watch there. So it promises to yet again be another stacked week. And I'm not going to make any predictions about what could happen because just, you know, we say things and then they just, you know, fall to bits the weekend after. So, you know, there's going to be some great games to watch. Do go out there and watch them. But as I say, it starts with UNC Pittsburgh tomorrow. If you get a chance to watch that or watch it on repeat because... We reckon it's going to be a barnstormer and it's going to be great. So that's the end of the week 11 preview. Um, just to finish off today's show, really, um, we had um, a request from one of our, um, from Ashley, who follows us. He mentioned, he put in that comment about me looking like Brian Cranston earlier. I'm not that old yet, Ash, unfortunately. So that's why I took that one to heart. Um, he's asked us about tight ends and obviously Darren Fells has left the Lions this week, he's decided to go elsewhere and he's landed himself a very cushy position 
with the Buccaneers, but obviously that leaves us a little light on tight ends now. So there may be a focus on them going into the draft. Obviously, we did a feature a few weeks ago for Ferg, who wanted us to come up with a whole host of players we had there, but he mentioned on their tight end too, and we had a few suggestions there that day. Um, in terms of tight ends, Ryan, obviously there is maybe an increased one for now in the draft. When you saw Fells have gone and we might need one in the draft, were the names that sort of sprung out to you instantly or you thought, oh, hang on, you know, I, I, I quite like them here now that Fells have gone and we need another guy in? I do. This is a nice tight end draft. There's been shaky the last few years, but there's, there's some good names. Uh, I like Michael Mayer. I like him out of Notre Dame. He's a nice, he's a good blocker, but he's also got a nice root running ability, got a nice tree. So he's got, I think, he's got like six, 700 yards this year. So for a team on lacking wide receivers, he's become one of the better options for Jack Cohen as a passer. Everyone's got to mention Isaiah Likely, this star at Coastal Carolina, one of Grayson McCall's best friends. He's a bit undersized, but what he makes up in size and blocking, he makes up in speed. The kid has got the wheels. I've seen him take off down defences, pick up a route across the middle, race to the end zone. He's someone that scores touchdowns, not just a security blanket. He can be a weapon. He could be one of the guys that uh, goes the highest. But for me, the front runner is probably still Trey McBride, the Colorado State tight end. He looks maybe <coughs> the most complete in the passing and blocking game. He's one of the lead leaguers league leading in receptions he's got good yardage good numbers he's got a nice frame he can do all the routes he runs deep he can put him on a post he can put him out in the slot they use him really well I expect he'll be one of the guys to make a big difference at the next level I don't think there's any tight end that could go anywhere near the first round but that's oh, fine with us because but the second third fourth round options there's huge guys. I, I've still been watching Noah Grindoff, the one I mentioned in that mock draft. Nearly all his career receptions have gone for touchdowns at North Dakota State. Six foot six. He's got arms like tree trunks, long range. So he's a real red zone threat. Even if he sees very limited action in the passing offense, once you get down to where the field tightens up, he's just that big body. Plays like a point forward in basketball. A bit like Darren Fells. He'll box a guy out like an Antonio Gates. If you look for him in the end zone, he can haul in the reception. But there's so many guys this year. Like There's a lot of big mid-round option tight ends that are going to be really good. And I, I definitely want the Lions to pick one up because Brock Wright has looked okay blocking. I don't know if he's got anything in the receiving game. There's no one left on the practice squad. All the other tight ends that we've had just haven't worked out. I've not seen enough of them. It's a big glaring hole because... In two years, we've got a big question. Do we pay TJ Hawkinson or not? Right mm. now, it's that's an unknown. So with a team that wants to pass the ball or wants to run block, we need some more tight ends. So we're going to be picking maybe one or two up this year. So those are the names right now to watch in the, uh, the draft and watching the college games rest of the year. Yeah, I think with TJ, I'm definitely using a fifth-year option with him to put it off another year because he's going to command mega buckos by the time at the end. And hopefully, if we give him an extra year on that deal, we might be good enough to warrant paying him. But it's going to be a lot whether we like it or not. But yeah, Ash, those, those are some of your choices there. Uh, from my point of view, as far as I'm going, not cowardly, cowardly like, but I'm going to go back to the choices I made 
for Ferg a few weeks back. So there's two ways I'd go in the draft for Titans this time. I'd either go with a blocking tight end, which we absolutely need. And for me, that guy is James Mitchell from Virginia Tech. Only problem is he's had a knee injury and he's not played much this year and that may affect him going forward. But he is one of the best blocking tight ends in this class still, even with the injury. Outside of that, it might be Austin Stogner from Oklahoma, but there are a few question marks about him. But I either go the block or I think, screw it, you know what, I'm going to go and get another offensive weapon. And as Ryan's already mentioned him, it's Isaiah Lightly. I absolutely love Isaiah Lightly just as a receiving threat. He's something different. He had about 240 yards in one game a couple of weeks back. He went absolutely mad. And if, you know, if we were to pick him up and pick Grayson McCall up late to throw to him, Maybe not be the worst situation in the world, but with Isaiah Likely and TJ Hawkinson, you've got the best pair of attacking tight ends in the NFL, I think, hands down for a pair of them, we would. And it would be absolutely fun to see. So probably not going to happen because he's a little on the small side, but I'd love to see that. So Mitchell or Likely there for me. Um, is there anything else you sort of want to mention for the show for this one? Because we are just about to wrap up now, really. Again, another bit of a long one, but so much goes on that you've got to try and get through it all. Uh, no, I think we've covered everything. It's been a it's been a very busy week again. The games now are spreading out as well. For people that are watching schedules like Mac, like the Mac, like you're gonna to have to watch it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. A lot of teams are spreading out. And we've had a lot of teams as well that have accepted places. I don't know if anyone's seen the news that uh, James Madison taking a step up from FCS to FBS. They've decided to join the Sun Belt. So those smaller conferences, Conference USA and the Sun Belt, etc., they're realigning. So there's teams right now that are getting invitations. So it's it's going to be something to watch. It, start of 2023 is when a lot of these teams are expected to move. But in these last few weeks of the season, we're going to see more teams agree to join conferences and there's going to be a lot of realignment happening in the next 18 months. Things are going to look very different. Some conferences are going to be cleared out and some FCS teams are probably going to get more invites to join FBS. And that gap for me is slowly shrinking and it's really good to see. Sorry, I think I just cut out a little minute there, but um, yeah. I agree. There's going to be a lot of conference realignment. One bit of news I didn't mention, and I said it earlier, um, we mentioned about CUSA last week, been down to potentially seven members. Well, they've actually found their eighth member now because Middle Tennessee have agreed to stay there. Still probably not going to be the most stacked league going forward, but Middle Tennessee, Liberty, potential for some decent games there. And Middle Tennessee hold up. One of the, my favourite players in this draft, Reed Blankenship, he's there this year and I'm going to absolutely be crying out for him for the next five months until the draft happens. So, yeah, they realign there. But yeah, We're going to go through the conferences at some stage and go through the realignments and go through them in a bit more detail. But a lot's going on at the minute, so there's no point. We'll tell you and then it'll change. You never know from week to week. So, yeah, that, that is just about everything for this week. So just going through the next shows for the pod, obviously, for our main... Detroit Lions podcast. We will be back tomorrow. We will be taking a preview of the Pittsburgh Steelers game. And I saw a very sad stat earlier saying that we've not won in Pittsburgh since about 1955. And someone jokingly said we've won a championship since then, which you laugh and then you actually cry a little because it's been a very long time. <laughs> and you're like, oh, crap. yes, that, that's actually true. They're not taking the mick. And after that refereeing performance the other day, against the Bears, I feel like 
I'm already writing out the angry tweets towards referees because it was a pretty horrendously officiated game, that one. Did you see that? I mean, some of the calls in there were absolute rubbish. Yeah, I saw it. I think, <clears throat> if anything, that was definitely a, that was a warning to the Lions to not, don't do any crap, like say, taunting's big now, like say, I think I'm glad it's happened because we've now seen how picky these referees are going to be. I think it was funny to see the Cassius Marsh, like say the referee, act, well, purposely bump into him and then call him for taunting on the sidelines. I think it's it's highlighting issues in the league, how they're clamping down on all sorts of penalties like this. It's it's a warning to a lot of sides as well. We're not that disciplined sometimes, so I'm hoping we're going to be extra cautious. Dan Campbell will be out there telling everyone, don't do anything stupid. Non sports might conduct none of that, and the least penalised team might win. Yeah, yeah, uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a chastening day, but I live in hope. I'm a positive guy. Anything can happen. The pit, the Steelers didn't look that impressive without the refs on their side. So, and we looked decent against them in preseason, and they put the better players out against us. But you know going over there and I've got to, got to stop this so yeah that's it the Steelers preview is going to be tomorrow Matt will be back and a few of the other guys as well um, and then for us we'll be back in a week that's the 17th of November we'll be looking back at week 11 um, so far if there's any requests for looking at players scan positions anything like that as always you can drop them into us in the chat we'll go back and check after this I'm sorry if anyone's been in the chat this evening we're, we're a bit technologically handicapped tonight at the minute we're using bits and we can't look at both at once so uh, but we will get back to you if you have messaged anything in there or as always just get in touch with us on twitter and we'll do it a lot of people have done so this year hopefully they've enjoyed what we've done for them so yeah that's a week 11 review in one week from now and then just to announce a few other things for the podcast that are coming up obviously this show is well, it's not technically new anymore, but it was a new addition to what we had this year. And we've got a few other projects coming up. So we're hopefully in the next few weeks going to be linking up with a Jets fan over here in the UK. And we're going to be doing a little series looking back at the history of the franchises. Because obviously theirs is not much better than ours. We're going to do a side by side, have a little look at where things have gone wrong in the past. Have a look at where the franchises are now and where they might go into the future. So that's going to be two or three parts. So that's going to be fun. And then the one that we've mentioned maybe once or twice, but in a couple of months, it's not far away. Obviously, myself and Ryan and everybody in NFL land loves to gossip about the draft, the combines, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you love to say, well, a lot of the athletes will say, well, you've never been through it before. You've never done it yourself. You don't know what it takes going into these days and stuff. So we've decided, well, you know what? We're going to give it a try. So there are lines here. We are going to be doing our own combine event where we are going to highlight our progress for a couple of months. We're going to do like a little vlog showing this training, trying to get into shape for all the events. And then at the end of that, just before the pro days start in the actual college scene, we'll do our own. So you get to tune along, tune in with us and laugh as we all struggle. Ryan won't because he plays football anyhow, but me, I will. Matt probably will. Some of the other guys will, but... It's going to be fun. So as long as I just don't post like a seven second 40 yard dash, then I don't mind. But I'm not as confident as you probably be for something like that, Ryan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't pride myself on being fast. Last time I ran a 40 yard dash, 
I stumbled and fell over because it was 4G just at the end. So I'll just be trying to stay upright. And I don't work out often, so no one be too looking forward or expecting big numbers from me because I am very amateur, as they would say. <laughs> oh, I think, it, yeah, I know. It, it, it's going to be fun to watch. We thought we'd do something a little different, especially as it's going to be off-season. It's going to be a bit slow up until the draft. So, uh, yeah, tune in and watch that. But that is just about everything for us this week. It just remains to me to thank Ryan, as always. And we may remain on air for a little while after I've said goodbye, but it's we've got a whole thing going on at the minute. Matt is doing a stream for us, so he will end it when he gets back to his laptop. So if we stay on your screen for a little while, don't be alarmed. But, you know, that's the reason why we're having to get third-party help at the minute, because my computer's died, which is a bad thing. But thanks to everyone, as always, for joining in with us. We do really appreciate it. We didn't know what the show was going to do when we first did it, but it gets over 100 or so plays a week. So anyone who listens to us, we do really appreciate it. So if you want to get involved, just message us. We'll get you in on the show or, you know, if you want to come on, have a little word, talk about college as well. We're getting to that point now. It'd be good to have some guests on. So let us know and we'll get it sorted. But apart from that, just remains for me to thank Ryan and we will wait till next time. Coming no time at all. These weeks come around so quickly. So until then, one pride. One pride.